Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. The darkness of the room was only broken by the glow of countless monitors and the hum of servers. 
I sat among my team, a group of elite Navy SEALs who had embarked on a mission unlike any we had faced before. Our battlefield wasn't a faraway land filled with enemy combatants. It was the digital realm, a labyrinthine network of code and data that held the power to bring nations to their knees. I am Lieutenant James Ghost Reynolds, and this is our story. It all began when our commanding officer, Admiral Callahan, summoned us to a top-secret briefing. In a room devoid of windows and wired with state-of-the-art encryption, he revealed the threat that had brought us here. A powerful enemy had assembled a cyber weapon capable of crippling the United States' critical infrastructure, from power grids to communication networks. Our mission was clear. Infiltrate the enemy's network, dismantle their weapon, and prevent a digital Armageddon. Our team was a carefully selected group of specialists. There was Chief Petty Officer Sarah Tech Mitchell, a genius with a computer and a wizard with cryptography. Then came Master Chief Petty Officer Jackson Viper, Ramirez, an expert in electronic warfare and a formidable hand-to-hand -hand combatant. Petty Officer First Class Mike Butts Buchanan was our demolitions expert and an agile free-runner. Lastly, there was Chief Petty Officer Alex Doc Dawson, a combat medic who had saved more lives than anyone cared to count. For weeks, we trained relentlessly. We learned to navigate the digital terrain, fortifying our knowledge in cyber warfare tactics encryption. Breaking and hacking, we blended traditional SEAL skills with cutting-edge technology, adapting to the evolving battlefield. The night of the mission arrived. We wore specially designed combat suits equipped with an array of sensors and communication gear. Our helmets featured heads-up displays that allowed us to see the digital world overlaid on the physical one. As we approached the enemy's facility, hidden deep within a dense forest, we knew that failure was not an option. With Viper leading the way, we reached the facility's perimeter, a fortress of steel and concrete. Tech began her work, disabling surveillance cameras and cracking security systems. The rest of us covered her, our weapons ready for any unexpected threats. Blitz's expertise came into play as we breached the outer defenses. He deftly disarmed traps and neutralized guards, all while we remained in the shadows, Doc stood by, ever vigilant, ready to patch us up if things went south. Inside the facility, the real challenge awaited us. We faced layers of firewalls, encryption and traps designed to deter even the most skilled hackers. But Tech, with her unmatched talent, carved a path through the digital defenses. We reached the heart of the enemy's network, a virtual citadel protected by the most complex code we'd ever seen. It was like navigating a maze filled with traps that could erase our presence in an instant. This is it, Ghost, Tech said through our encrypted comms. I'm in, but it's going to take some time to dismantle their weapon. Viper and Blitz set up a defensive perimeter while Doc and I watched Teak work her magic. Every second felt like an eternity as we guarded against potential physical threats while she fought a digital war. Our training had prepared us for this, but the stakes had never been higher. Time seemed to stretch as Tech tirelessly worked to dismantle the cyber weapon. Every line of code she bypassed, every firewall she breached, brought us closer to victory. Outside the virtual realm, the enemy was surely closing in on our location. 
as Tech finally disabled the last piece of the cyber weapon, a sense of relief washed over us. We had done it. We had prevented a catastrophic cyber attack on our homeland, but the enemy wasn't finished. Just as we were about to extract, they launched a full-scale physical assault on our position. Bullets and explosions filled the air as we fought our way out of the facility. Amidst the chaos, we navigated the forest, using our training to evade and engage the enemy. Viper's electronic warfare skills disrupted their communications, giving us the upper hand. Blitz's demolitions created diversions, allowing us to slip away. Finally, with the enemy hot on our heels, we reached our extraction point. The helicopters swooped down to pluck us from the jaws of danger. As we climbed aboard, we knew that our mission had been a success, but the fight against cyber threats was far from over. Back on home soil, our success remained classified. The world would never know the true extent of the threat we had faced and the battles we had fought in the shadows. We were the unseen guardians defending our nation not with guns and grenades, but with lines of code and unwavering resolve. Our team continued to train and adapt, ready to face whatever digital threats lurked in the future. We knew that in this age of technology, the front lines had evolved, and the warriors who defended it had to evolve with it. As I looked at my team, I couldn't help but feel a sense of pride. We were Navy SEALs, and we were code warriors. Defenders of the virtual realm, sworn to protect our nation from the shadows. It was May 18, 1993, when I, Mark Port, stumbled upon mysterious tracks once again near the Green Peter Dam, close to Lebanon, Oregon. The tracks measured approximately 14 by 5 inches, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and curiosity as I examined them. I recalled a similar experience I had while hunting near Don Day, Oregon, back in 1990 and 1993. I remembered being deep in the woods surrounded by the sounds of nature when I suddenly heard something unusual. It was a strange noise, like the rubbing of sticks back and forth. The peculiar thing was that it sounded like several individuals were doing it. The noise was persistent and eerie, sending a chill down my spine. As I stood by the Green Peter Dam, reflecting on those past experiences, I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something out there, something that had left those tracks and made those mysterious sounds. I felt a mixture of intrigue and fear, wondering what kind of creature could be responsible for the traces I had discovered. Determined to learn more, I decided to investigate further. I ventured deeper into the woods, following the trail of tracks as best as I could. The forest was dense, and the deeper I went, the more mysterious it felt. The sounds of the woods seemed to grow quieter as I approached the source of the tracks. Then, as I stepped over a fallen log, I heard it again, the sound of sticks rubbing together. My heart raced as I realized that whatever had made those tracks and those sounds was nearby. I cautiously moved forward, scanning the trees and underbrush for any sign of movement. As the sound grew louder, I knew I was getting closer to the source. I held my breath, hoping to catch a glimpse of the creature responsible for the tracks and noises. But just as I was about to lay eyes on it, the sound abruptly stopped and the forest fell silent. Frustrated and unnerved, I decided it was time to head back. I had come close to discovering the truth, but it seemed the mysterious creature wanted to remain hidden. 
I don't think they were human. This was an experience that happened when I was a kid, probably 10 years old in 2010. I'm 22 now, for reference. There used to be this park my dad would take me to here in Maryland. He would play basketball in the section where the courts were, and I would play in the section with the park equipment. One day I was on a swing set, and this couple came up and started talking to me. There was a man and a woman with a black stroller. I don't think I ever saw a baby in the stroller. I remember it always being faced away from me. This may have been a normal interaction, but something felt very off or dream, like about the encounter. So I was even able to pick up on it at that age. The man and the couple was wearing blue jeans and a red and white plaid checkered shirt, but he looked odd, like kind of clammy, pale, or jaundiced gray. I also remember his eyes being very penetrating. The woman had on a dress and... I think, had medium-length brown hair. I can't remember her face, no matter how hard I try, though. She looked more normal from what I remember. The best way to describe the man's hair would be kind of blonde, ashen, and artificial, looking in a sort of bowl, cut style, I think. I can't remember exactly what we talked about, but I think it revolved around God religion, and it was a fairly short interaction, probably about ten minutes. The weirder part is that I saw them later at a completely different park on a different date. Could have been weeks or months, and they were in the exact same outfits with the exact same stroller. It looked like only five minutes had passed, but it was a completely different location at a different time. I can remember feeling apprehensive and off when I saw them again. Strangely, I can't remember if I talked to them or not a second time. The last key to the story is that when I told my dad about seeing this couple multiple times as a kid, he said that maybe they were angels. I remember that comment intensely freaking me out for some reason. Now, there could be a perfectly rational explanation for this, but more recently I've been doing more spiritual work and growth, as well as scientific, astrophysical, biological, quantum physics theory, extra, etc. Research and this memory resurfacing prompted me to share it. It's not the first time I recall this happening, but it is the first time I feel like I could maybe get some explanation. I'd be happy to provide any more context about my life, if it's helpful, or the encounters if I can remember. It wasn't the sort of thing where they did anything really suspect I could tell my dad or police about. The man just didn't look human. Like the only way to describe it was he looked like a wilted flower, an uncanny, clammy, human wilted flower. That's the weird part. I do remember sort of shuffling off toward the courts after talking to them. But the second time, I can't remember if I approached them or not, which is strange. It's fuzzy. It sort of blips in and out. Both encounters felt sort of dream. Mike, I also usually have a good brain for remembering faces, but I can't really remember the lady's face. A good portion of the guy's in detail. Could certainly be chalked up to the fact that this was a while ago, but... I still recognize people around my hometown from when I was that age, so I don't know. I just felt scared or off, like not quite right. Even now, it's the sort of thing where if I hadn't externally told my dad he didn't also physically notice them, I would doubt that it actually happened. I just remember feeling that was weird. It gave me sort of a weird feeling, especially the second time I saw them.
I live on a compound by myself. I know it sounds weak, eh, but it's really my tiny home, workshop, and a couple of other buildings for food or equipment storage in the guest room. One bad snowstorm knocked my area OOK, so I decided to hunker in for the long haul. I spent almost two weeks without leaving. Three days in, I get woken up to a knock at the door. I get up to answer it and halfway there. Now I realize the only way this guy could knock on my door is if he broke the lock. So I grab my shotgun and ask him through the door who he is and what he wants. Guy says nothing and keeps banging. I go out the back door and sneak around front. And I see a man who was on the ground covered in blood and shouting, albeit quietly, for help. Turns out he was driving and crashed and dragged himself five miles down the road until he came to my place. By then he realized that I forgot to lock the bottom part of the gate and weaseled in. Luckily he survived. My grandfather was a fisherman with a bad habit of finding dead bodies. I hadn't thought about this in a while, but just googled it and found this description of one of his encounters on Saturday, July 11, 1970, the Park County Sheriff's Office received a call from a fisherman near Gardner. He'd just pulled up the scariest snag of his life. A waterlogged human torso. By Monday, that mutilated torso was on a table in the Park County Sheriff's Office, being examined by the FBI. The head and arms had been cut off. The legs were gone below the knee. On the chest, amid stab wounds, there was a T-shaped cut where the killer had opened his body to get to his innards. Two things were clear. The victim was without a heart, and his murderer was heartless. Turns out it was cannibalism. Okay, so a friend of mine was telling me about glitches in reality on the way to the grocery store. We pull in and drive all the way up the parking ramp to level two, park directly in the center, then walk to the elevator. She presses the button to go down to the first floor and we enter the grocery store. A week later, we come back to the same grocery store. We pull in and park. We walk to the elevator. I go in first this time and press the button. We go down to the first floor and enter the grocery store. When we're done shopping, we come out, take the elevator up to parking level two and can't find my car. We look all over level two and start to kind of freak out thinking my car had been stolen. So we go down to level one just to check and my car is parked right by the grocery store entrance. Our memory of parking on level one rushes back. We both clearly remember getting on the elevator on level two. I'm the one who pressed the button this time, not her, but there was no possible way that could happen if we had parked on level one. The only way to get from where we parked to the elevator would be to walk all the way up a long ramp meant for cars only and loop back and walk all the way across level two to the elevator. That didn't happen. It was the most surreal thing I have ever experienced and can only describe it as a glitch in reality. When I saw my car on level one after freaking out and not being able to find it, I clearly remembered parking there. We both did, but we had no memory of it until we saw the car. It was like the memory was edited from our minds and re-added when we saw the car. Our theory is that the realities overlapped and when we shut the car doors we were suddenly up where we had parked the week before. We both remember walking to the elevator from roughly the same area of level two that we had parked the previous week. 
crazy man. I am not a super spiritual person, but it definitely made me realize that reality is not what we think it is. The first time I got up close to a black bear was about 15 or so years ago. Usually I'd hunt with my dad in eastern Washington, but he got into a bad motorcycle accident and was out of commission. It put me in a precarious position because he had a truck, but I only had Mustang. Thus, I couldn't drive the logging roads into our usual areas. Using Google Maps, I located a juicy-looking tree farm that was about 30-40 minutes from Mount Rainier. It only Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Allowed hikers, no vehicles, and it required roughly 4.5 miles of hiking with 2,000-plus foot of elevation gain just to get to the first clear cut. Next one was seven miles in. I headed up there in mid-July with a gallon of water, some foil packs of tuna, an MRE, and a pup tent. Figured I'd stay three, five days and scout for bear and elk. The first mile was a brutal uphill trek. The last five were a cakewalk. Before I got to the second clear cut, I saw a well-established deer trail following the ridge and took it. It led me to a beautiful, exposed ridgeline populated with berry bushes and buckbrush that overlooked a giant lake. I had decided to make my camp there, right on the game trail, in the overgrown clear-cut. Right before dark, a thick, wet, misty fog rolled in, cutting visibility down to less than 100 feet. I got as cozy I could in the child-sized tent. The only way I could stretch out was if I lay diagonally. I put my rifle to the back of the tent and laid my .22 revolver and a flashlight on a yellow piece of felt by the entrance. I rigged for a while and eventually fell asleep. Sometime around 4 a.m., I woke up with my heart pounding. Initially, I couldn't figure out whether I woke from a bad dream or something else. Right as my heart started to slow down, I heard breathing and the sound of footsteps on wet wood. Before my fear got the best of me, I assured myself it was probably just a curious deer or elk since I'd had several late-night encounters like that before. I grabbed my flashlight and revolver, unzipped the tent, and stood up looking around. Much to my dismay, the misty fog had gotten worse and visibility was less than 30 feet with the flashlight. I was about to sit back down in the tent when my light picked up two yellow eyes roughly 60, 80 feet to the left of me. The eyes bobbed down and then back up again, which reminded me of how deer behave when they're curious about something. I breathed a sigh of relief and said in a low voice, Piss off, deer. That's when the animal started walking towards me. The second I realized it was moving towards me, I knew it wasn't a deer. The eyes were only 18, 24 feet off the ground, and it was walking directly at me with no hesitation whatsoever. I yelled, Stop the map off. The animal paused, giving me a moment to consider whether I should shoot the point .22 at it. I reasoned that it was most likely a bear and that I didn't want to risk only wounding it and pissing it off. 
I decided to duck into the tent and grab my three six. When I tried to pull it out, the rifle got caught in the tent poles and fabric. Like I said before, it was a pup tent designed for children. I was using it because it was super lightweight. When the rifle got snagged, I looked out and saw that the eyes were bouncing and could hear that the animal was moving towards me again at a pace similar to a human jogging. I jumped back up and screamed at it, which brought it to a halt about 30 feet away. Still scared of wasting the six rounds of .22 ammo, I grabbed a chunk of wet wood at my feet and lobbed it at the animal. The wood landed a few feet to its left, but it didn't react. I grabbed another chunk and lobbed it, this time striking the animal somewhere on its back. It ran about 50 feet to my right and disappeared. I kept scanning for a minute or so and then reached into the tent for my rifle again. Immediately I heard footsteps again, shot up onto my feet just in time to see a juvenile black bear galloping towards me at about 30 feet. I screamed at it, pointed the revolver, and was about to shoot when it finally veered away and kept on running till it disappeared into the woods. I stood where I was, scanning around with the flashlight, until the sun came up. Once it was fully light, I looked for tracks and found a couple paw prints and a fresh pile of scat. Both signs confirmed it was a juvenile in the 100-150 pound range. I loitered around till noon, trying to talk myself into continuing my trip, but my nerves were fried. I ended up hiking back out. Though I camped and hunted in that area several times afterwards, I never felt completely comfortable there again and always had difficulties with falling asleep. I never saw another bear there, only deer, elk, coyotes, and a skunk. I also never set up my tent on game trails again either. In retrospect, I should have just fired the revolver to scare it off. At the time, my brain wasn't functioning properly. I'd never been in a situation like that and didn't know how to handle it. Oh well. In 2006, my wife's son had decided to take a camping trip to Pinnacle Lake Trail in Washington. We were excited to spend some quality time together, enjoying the beauty of nature and exploring the rainforest. On a misty day with light rain, we set out for a hike. We hadn't gone far, probably less than a mile, when we came across a small trail that led to a boggy pond hidden within the lush forest. Tall trees draped with moss surrounded the dark water creating an enchanting yet eerie atmosphere. Intrigued, we decided to venture further in, navigating our way through the undergrowth. We carefully climbed over and ducked under fallen trees. The air felt heavy and oppressive, but we were captivated by the mysterious beauty of the place. Suddenly my wife stopped in her tracks and said, We need to leave. Now. Confused, I asked her what was wrong, but she couldn't explain it. She just felt an overwhelming sense of unease, as if something bad was lurking nearby. Trusting her instincts, which had served us well in the past, I agreed to leave without hesitation. We retraced our steps back to our campsite and spent a quiet evening together before packing up and heading home the following day. Upon arriving home, we were shocked to see a local news report about a double murder just two miles up the trail from where we had been hiking. Two women had been killed the day after we had been there. Chills ran down our spines as we contemplated the possibility that my wife's intuition might have saved us from a similar fate. Was there a connection between her sense of unease and the brutal crime that had taken place nearby? 
To this day, the case remains unsolved. We'll never know for certain if my wife's instinct sensed the presence of a killer, or if it was just a coincidence. But one thing is clear. Trusting her intuition that day may have saved our lives. That experience has left an indelible mark on our family, serving as a reminder that sometimes our gut feelings are worth listening to, no matter how inexplicable they may seem. I live in the big woods in northwest Oregon, and this happened this year at my house. We can generally hear the ocean, trees, sounds from the street, and loads of wildlife. Frogs, birds, insects, depending on season, and we have a rowdy neighborhood and general living noises. But one night, it just all stopped. There was no sound at all on an unusually clear night. It's cloudy a lot here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I went outside. I wanted to see if I could find a UFO or something mysterious happening. I wanted to see if there were any sounds. Curious, but the rest of my family were like, Get inside. Shut the window blinds. This is mess. I give my apple cars to a couple of deer who live in the woods, Sandy and Sarah, and one of them came up. She seemed scared and felt better standing right up beside me in the oddest thing. I could hear her breathing. It was dead quiet and there was this whoosh-whoosh of breath in and out of this nervous deer. My family dragged me inside about then. I still feed the deer apple cores, but I have never been able to hear one breathing again. I've never had an instance of complete silence either. It's always noisy. There is so much wildlife here, and Coast Guard helicopters and the pickup trucks of loggers, etc. I felt like there was something there, but I honestly couldn't see it. I did give it my best shot. The next few days, there were unusual helicopters and a really unusual airplane. Years ago, when I was backpacking across Western Europe, I was just outside Barcelona, hiking in the foothills of Mount Tibidabo. I was at the end of this path, and I came to a clearing, and there was a lake, very secluded, and there were tall trees all around. It was dead silent, gorgeous. And across the lake I saw a beautiful woman bathing herself. But she was crying. I hesitated, watching, struck by her beauty. And also by how her presence, the delicate curve of her back, the dark sweep of her hair, the graceful length of her limbs, even her tears, added to the majesty of my surroundings. I felt my own tears burning behind my eyes, not in sympathy but in appreciation of such a perfect moment. She spied me before I could compose myself, but she didn't cry out. Instead, our eyes held and she smiled enigmatically, fresh tears still spilling down her cheeks. I was frozen. I knew nothing about this woman, and yet, as we stood on opposite sides of a pool of water, thousands of miles from my own home and everyone I had ever known, I felt the most intense connection. Not just to her, but to the earth, the sky, the water between us, and also to the entirety of mankind, as if she symbolized thousands of years of the human condition. I wanted to go to her, to comfort her, to probe this feeling of belonging I had never encountered before. But I couldn't, because I knew that if I spoke, if she spoke, that moment would be ruined. 
and I knew I would need the memory of that moment to carry me through the inevitable dark patches throughout my life. And so I watched her lower her hand, turn, and slowly walk to the shore opposite me. The rest of her perfect form was gradually revealed to me, and I held my breath as I watched her disappear behind a copse of trees near the water. I didn't follow her. In fact, I turned around. I knew there was nothing else we could experience together that would be more perfect than that moment. And it still remains the most profound experience of my life. I used to work at a movie theater downtown. I usually would get off around 1 a.m. when the buses would have already stopped running, and on one such night while I was crossing over one of the many bridges on foot, I decided to take a shortcut. I miscalculated because I was fairly new to the area and ended up under the bridge where there was a large homeless camp. Anyways, I was trying to see if I could salvage the shortcut as opposed to backtracking when I noticed that I was being followed. I'm a pretty nervous person, the type who was always looking over my shoulder when out walking at night. When I did, I saw someone less than 20 yards back under another small footbridge peering out behind a pylon. At first, I just thought it was someone who didn't want to be seen or was paranoid, but I noticed that, as I walked, I would see them making an effort to catch up to me. I immediately whipped out my cell phone to call my girlfriend just so that I could be on the phone with someone. No answer. As I was pretending that I was on the phone, I noticed that they had kind of back off and were now keeping a longer distance, maybe 30 yards or so. The shortcut calmed to a dead end with a highway on one side and the river on the other. I was going to have to backtrack and go right by the person. I turned around and postured up as well as got really loud on my fake phone call. I saw them go back to, to their pillar and kind of hang out behind it. As I approached the footbridge, I was staring right at the pillar and could see the guy in the shadow looking right back at me. At about 15 or so yards from the footbridge, I dead sprinted past him without stopping to look back for about a full minute. After getting back on the right course, I came across about five cop cars with police officers and key nine all looking around in the homeless camp. One officer stopped me because I was still kind of power walking looking disgruntled. He searched me and then said that there was someone with a knife that had just stabbed two people and was in the area. I told the officer what had just happened and then walked home and cracked a cold one. Last hunting season I was running solo in the backcountry. The area I was in had burned in the 90s, so there were a lot of dead trees in the burn scar. The first night out there I was woken up to a very loud but distant roaring sound around 2-3 a.m. Aside from the obvious reasons to be freaked out, there was a wildfire around 30 miles to the south of me burning its way north. At first, I thought the sound was one of the DC-10 fire tankers flying over as the sound was getting steadily louder. All of a sudden, there were extremely loud, booming noises that sounded like bombs going off echoing up the canyon, and the roaring ramped up to almost deafening. It was a windstorm tearing through the canyon I was in. The explosion-like sounds were dead trees getting blown over. I heard a couple dozen trees crashing to the ground before the wind passed. I was sure the trees around me were going to be falling on top of me, even though they weren't dead. Didn't sleep for the rest of the night. Wow. 
One time I was solo camping and I had my first lucid dream, nightmare that ended up not being lucid for a bunch of it. The reason I mention it was because it took place at the spot I was camping. In the dream I woke up to people rustling and a voice speaking incredible lowly and slowly in Latin or something. And I immediately got up and unzipped my tent and saw nothing. And then quiet, and after like two minutes of sitting there terrified, I opened and got out to see my family frozen. Eyes wide open staring behind me where I previously checked, and I turned around in the face of this grotesque horned demon, which was these deep purple and black. And as soon as I made eye contact, I froze from fear with that feeling of adrenaline you get when that happens. And just... With sticks starting in this thing's eyes and my family and this one man I didn't recognize silently almost hovered next to me all frozen not able to control ourselves in this demon's gaze and then without break eye contact he pointed to my left and then in this bizarre deep and powerful but quiet voice he told us to go to the house so right spooky nightmare woke up in an insane sweat from a combination of craziest and most recent nightmare of my life and being in a sleeping bag but what really kick it is, I almost forgot about the thing two hours later. Had already had some jerky for breakfast, packed everything up, and wandered around with my pack enjoying this morning before I headed home, and not fifteen minutes later, I came across an abandoned house that had no reason, being where we were for so many reasons. And as I saw this abandoned house froze, staring at it, I managed to walk at it directly, not even at an off angle. I felt like the demon from my dreams might as well have been in that house staring at me. And after what seemed like ages, I ran in the opposite direction, past my sight and back where I originally came from, towards the nearest trail a mile or two away. I don't know how my unconscious mind would have known there was a house there to put it into my dream. I hope it was the most terrifying coincidence of my life. I have always wondered what would have happened if I went into that house, 